five, four, three, two, one. Welcome back to the Fever Pitch Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We have a third-year dental student at Boston University School of Dental Medicine. He has vlogged his journey and shows the importance and resilience of what it takes to keep pushing forward. We have Eli Hilaire. How are you doing today? What's going on? Doing good. That's good. That's good. We're out in Boston. It's raining. I've never been here before. It's definitely a interesting city. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of typical weather, honestly. Oh, this it's is always pretty ugly here. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's sad. But, you know, more importantly, what was the first sport that you ever played? Um, I, yeah, my first sport was definitely basketball. Like, when I think about it, my parents tried to get me into other stuff because my sister was, like, a really big track runner, but I just never really – I never really messed with track. So, I stuck with basketball. I played a few other sports, but that was my first one. Okay. So, then with basketball, what position did you play and – what was your journey with the sport? So it varied. Uh, like growing up, I played like mostly the forward position. And then when I got to high school, I was playing mostly guard, like mainly shooting guard. Um, and then I had like bounce of playing point guard, which was interesting, um, especially because I was pretty tall in high school, especially compared to like people on my team. But when it came to obviously like college and stuff, being, I think the tallest I got in high school was probably like six one. It's really like a point guard's height. So, um, like it was realistic, but at the same time, it was very new to me. It took some adjusting, but like definitely learned a lot, just a lot about basketball. And I got smarter as a basketball player playing point guard. Okay, so. You were playing point guard throughout the entirety of, like, high school? Um, mainly 11th grade. Like, after 10th grade finish and, like, moving into, like, summer league, fall league, and, um, like, the regular season in 11th grade. That's when I was playing point guard a lot. Oh, so you played basketball year-round. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I would have school, like the school, high school league, that was usually in the winter. Like it would start in November and around March, or like February, March. And then um, AAU would start up basically like March, April. Usually like the state tournament was in April, I think. Yeah, April and May. So like we would start practicing in March, like basically right when high school season ended. But then, um, Usually your high school, like once you get up to varsity, y'all got summer league. So like I would have AAU and summer league throughout the summer when we were out of school. Then when we start back up school, usually AAU is over. But then like your high school will have fall league. So you got fall league and that goes basically till the season, the regular season starts. Okay. And then with the regular season, it's typical everywhere, like the winter time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, it starts tryouts is like November 15th every year and it goes to like yeah mid-February I would say um and then yeah occasionally like one year I decided to play lacrosse so that was random but I I basically ended basketball started up lacrosse but I had like lacrosse and AU at the same time and then yeah lacrosse ended 
Then I started AAU in summer league. Like I was always just doing a lot in high school. So I stayed busy, honestly, because school wasn't really that challenging. I felt like in high school and I didn't really care that much about school. It was kind of just something I did just so I could keep playing sports, but kept me in school and made me apply myself. So got me to college and past college now I'm in dental school, so. It's true. So did you know back then that you wanted to be a dentist? Nah, honestly, like, keep it, to keep it honest, like I didn't even really have any real interest in like college until I got to like after, I think it was 10th grade. Yeah, after 10th grade, I did like a summer program at the University of Maryland, like where you take a summer class and you basically get like a three week, three week experience of being a college student. And honestly, like I just had so much fun in that program and it gave me like a real look at, of what college is like. After that, that's when I was like, oh, okay, I think I wanna go to college. And yeah, and then like, even since then, like I always wanted to go to Maryland. It wasn't really any other school that I wanted to go to. So that's where I ended up going. Okay, so once you got to Maryland, did you keep hooping on like the club team or anything of that nature? Yeah, so a lot of my high school teammates ended up going to Maryland as well. So we all just started an intramural team because the club team was uh, ran by students and coached by students. So it was like, we didn't really feel like doing that because it was a lot of like the guys and their friends. And like they would say it's open to everybody and it was, but at the same time it was like the dudes wasn't nice. <laughs> like they, they really wasn't nice, but like you can't really do nothing about it because they run the club team. So we just started like an intramural team. I think like we had, we had one, two, four or five, I can't remember, at least four people from my high school team. And then we added like just people that we met, um, like running at the gym, running pickup at the gym and uh, athlete. And we ended up, we won the intramurals three years in a row. Cause like they were all a year older than me. Yeah. So like they got to Maryland the year before I did. So when I came, I just hopped on the team with them. They was already cool with like, uh, Femi, Zay, like some of our pro fights, like they ran with us, and yeah, we won. We won intramurals three times in a row. Femi and Zay was on the team twice. The first year that we won, they was online, so they wasn't uh, playing with us. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow, I did not know that you guys were running the yeah intramural circuit like that. Yeah, man. Wow. So. Once you have that experience, like, was there any, like, pivotal moments in there where you learned any valuable lessons? Man, honestly, I think, like, one of the most valuable lessons, um, one of the most pivotal moments in, like, my basketball career is, like, when I realized I ain't going nowhere. Like, I, I ain't going to the NBA or nothing like that. Like, playing AAU, you get a more realistic vision of, like, who's out there and like what the people that is about to go play D1 and go to college like really look like being six like six one saying so you're like okay I'm not like one of those super fast six one dudes that could all, I mean like I was athletic but like you gotta be super fast gotta be able to dribble crazy and be athletic mm -hmm. if you're gonna do something at six one which I wasn't so 
just learning that and then realizing, okay, like I can still do this for my fun, but at the same time, like I got to prepare myself, myself for like what I'm really going to do in the real world, like going to college and like actually studying something to get a degree. That was an important lesson. I feel like, of course, it's cool for everybody to dream. Everybody wants to go to NBA, NFL, whatever. But at the same time, I feel like my parents, um, you know, they would they would always remind me like, you know, it's, that's really like a two percent chance of happening for anybody. So many things have to go right for you to go to the league or even have a successful career in the league. So like, the earlier you realize that, and you apply yourself in other areas of your life so you can actually do something I feel like that's important for a lot of people and some people some people accept that and some people really take way too long to accept that I know people right now that are trying to play overseas basketball and they never they wasn't really nothing in high school Mm. how you never let go of that dream you should have known in high school that I mean, that's just me being realistic, though. You were in high school, you were on the team, and you averaged four points a game. Like, of course, okay, you might play in a professional league right now, but you playing for, like, $400 a month. Like, you're just playing basketball, bro. It's time to hang it up and do something that actually gets you somewhere. Was there, like, a pivotal AAU game or, like, a team or players that you played against that you're like, yeah, Probably not this professionally. Yeah, man. When we played, I still remember we when I was on sixteen under. We played team takeover, DC. They had like, man, they're starting five. It's not even just their starting five, bro. Probably at least like nine people on the team was already committed to a D one school. Like they had, I know, like they had Phil Booth. He was going to Villanova. Trey Campbell was going to Georgetown. Deion Wiley was going to Maryland. They had, like, Martin Gieben. He was going to Notre Dame. Um, I know, like, they their whole starting five. Oh, they had one dude. Um, where did he go? His name was Obi something. Uh, I think he had a brother, too. They both was going D1. Their whole starting five was going D1. Dion didn't even start on that team. He was going to Maryland. Yeah, they had some, they had some heavy hitters on the team. They beat us about 20, I remember. Like, our team wasn't bad either, but they, mm-hmm. you know. They was like that. And they had way more hype than us, of course. Like, they got six, ten guys. They was like that. Wow. But I, I still remember that that specific game. And uh, I would say, like, one other game was probably when I was on 14 under. And we were playing that. We were playing at Nationals. And, like, the team we were playing against ended up winning the National Tournament. We lost them by two in overtime. I still remember. But... Like, they got dudes on 14 under. Like, you play 14 under when you're the summer after your eighth grade year. Mm -hmm. I'm saying dudes is two-hand dunking off the, like, tip-off play, throw it up there, two-hand dunking. I'm like, all right, cool. And, like, at that point in time, like, I was was trying to dunk, but I was missing every dunk. Like, I was was jumping. I was getting up there, but I wasn't completing dunks. They dunked with two hands. I'm like, all right. So we're a little behind in the development <laughs> of a real Hoover, a real NBA talent type of Hoover. Yeah. But, you know, those are the things that you end up seeing when you play at a high level. And you know, like, all right, they're the ones that's going to be on TV. So when you had those moments, did it just, like, overall just, like, increase your 
awareness of just like peeping stuff overall yeah for sure I would say that um, yeah I don't even really know what else to say about it but um, yeah it's just I it was an eye-opening experience nonetheless like of course I still love playing basketball but at the same time you know it kept it kept things realistic for me okay okay so then after that you get to UMD and then you major in biology yeah so how was that journey and how did it lead you to dental school man I tried to drop the bio major like at least three four at least once a year I tried oh. to drop out of bio major like at least once a year first year after probably like a month of school I was telling my parents like I think I want to switch to business and try to try to um, major in something that was in the business school mm-hmm. um, they wasn't they they weren't really rocking with it I don't even know why honestly I didn't really know what I wanted to major in when I was applying to college I just knew I was good at math and science yeah. so I was just like I'm a, my mom was like you should try to major in biology and go to med school I was like alright whatever but um yeah, I tried to switch to business, and then, like, around my sophomore, I think the end of my sophomore year, or maybe the beginning of my sophomore year, is when they, like, came out with the public health science major. Like, I know a lot of people major in public health science now at UMD. That started while I was at UMD. Like, that wasn't a major when I started. Oh. So, around, like, my sophomore year, I had I have a friend that I knew, like, growing up, and he's a year behind me at Maryland. He goes to Meharry for med school now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was telling me, like, oh, I'm about to switch to public health science, and I was like, what's that? I looked it up or whatever, and I was like, oh, I could just major in this. I was still, I was already planning, like, I graduated a semester late from UMD, but that was the plan. Like, mm-hmm. I never planned on graduating on time I would have been 21 if I graduated on time and so I was like I'm purposely gonna stay an extra semester since my birthday is November I'll turn 22 like a week not a week a month before graduation did you skip a year no I just started school early yeah so I was always like the youngest in my class like growing up graduated high school when I was 17 um yeah so um, since I knew I was going to be staying an extra semester, switching the major wouldn't have put me off that track at all. My mom was honestly trying to get me to stay a whole extra year. And I was just like, no. <laughs> like, I was like, all my friends are gone. That last semester was miserable. Um, and yeah. But uh, when I told her like I wanted to switch... At that point, I was finished with my sophomore year, so they were like, my, my parents were like, what's the point? Like, you might as well just stay in bio. You need a majority of these classes to apply to med school anyway, because at the time, I was pre-med. Mm-hmm. So, I ended up staying, and yeah, I think, after, I think after my third year, my junior year, I think I tried to switch to public health science again. I was really gonna go through it, through with it that time. I don't remember what made me change my mind, but like I had, I was getting all the papers signed, and I, I can't remember what made me change my mind. I think it was like a matter of um, take, taking the classes 
wouldn't have like changed my GPA all that much. <laughs> so it was like if I was going to graduate with like a GPA on the lower side, I would have rather just graduate with a bio degree than have changed my major and still not like gotten my GPA up that much. So just <laughs> graduate with a lower GPA with a, a major that wasn't like as strong as bio. Mm-hmm. So I just left it. And I ended up finishing with it, but it it, it wasn't easy. It, <laughs> it wasn't easy at all. I, compared to this, it's probably super easy, but at the time, it didn't feel easy at all. Trying to pass organic chemistry, Gen Chem 2. I think I, yeah, I ended up retaking Gen Chem 2 lab. I had to retake Gen Chem 2 lab at UMD to apply to dental school. I kind of forget about that because it happened during COVID. So it also was like online. They just gave us the data. But yeah, I definitely had to do that. Oh, snap. I kind of forget all about that sometimes. Well, yeah. Okay, so then while you're applying to dental school, um, are you still like hooping recreationally, things of that nature? I mean, it's it's the pandemic at that point. I mean, I still do now. I mean, we ran in the murals here. Like, we made a, a team of all dental students and ran the intramurals at Boston University because like they allow all the grad schools to play in their intramurals so like the law school plays in their intramurals the med school all that so yeah to his day except for this year because like the main people that were running it were like D3s and D4s that graduated already and Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not taking over (laughs) I got too much stuff on my plate to worry about that so okay so then you're applying to dental school. How was that whole process? What was that like? Um, honestly, my application cycle was strange because it was like during the height of COVID pretty much. Um, I was in my post back program that I did at George Mason and uh, like around, yeah, pretty much we went on spring break and then they told us not to come back. And that was around like Mm mid-March. So after that, we were online. My program finished in May. And I started working on a dental school application right then because you could start submitting it in June. Mm -hmm. Um, But everything was online, like all your interviews, all your, like I didn't, I didn't ever visit Boston until I had already paid my deposit to come to this school. Like my first time visiting here was to look for an apartment and it was like three months after I paid my deposit to come here. So I just I just t- took a chance, bro. But that's what you had to do during a COVID application cycle. You didn't really get a chance to visit any schools. Oh, you didn't watch like any like virtual tour? Or uh, I did get a virtual tour of uh, like the school, but the city itself, like I never, I'd never been to Boston before. Mm. So like, I didn't know anything about like how expensive it was to live here, like the racial demographics, mm-hmm. like et cetera. So I just kind of, you know, I was like, well, I know I like the school mm-hmm. and I got into the school and it's my top choice. So I'm going to go and everything else will just work itself out. But that's, that's the risk you had to take during the COVID cycle honestly wasn't a chance to really go a lot of places a lot of times people apply and they know they're going to visit when they go on their interview Mm -hmm. but 
now, I mean, even after COVID, three, where we like three years after that cycle, they're still doing virtual interviews. Um, they change some things where they'll do like an in-person visit, like if you already interviewed or something like that. But mm. most schools are doing virtual interviews still. Wow. So let's backtrack. So after you graduated from UMD, you went to George Mason following that? Yeah. So I graduated from UMD. I did a year and a half um, research program at NIH. I was working there a year and a half, um, working in the neuroscience lab. That was like, I was thinking of that as my way of dodging, like getting my grades up to apply. I was like, if I just do more research, like do like more extracurriculars and I'll just apply after that. But I feel like that was a waste of time. Like looking back, that was a waste of time. I would have gotten into school if I just went straight to George Mason and did a post back and then applied. But it's all right. I don't take it back. I'm like, I don't regret it. I did get a good experience from it. And I do feel like I grew from that and it made me more ready for school. But in reality, I should have just went straight to doing the uh, post back and then applying. If I knew I wanted to go to dental school sooner, I would have done that. Um, but again, at the time, I thought I wanted to go to medical school, so I was trying to do more. So, yeah. Okay, so how's that experience overall at the NIH? Did you like what you were researching? Man, um, <laughs> it was it was interesting, man. I was working with rats, um, so I absolutely hated like going to work. I, I hated it. Every day I would wake up and drain it because I knew there was a chance that I would have to interact with a rat. Like a live rat or a dead yeah, rat? Oh, a live rat. Oh. A live, and, well, and dead rats too. Um, but yeah, like, and when I say interact, I mean like, I knew I would have to hold one, like touch one, hold one, mm-hmm. possibly get peed on by one, possibly get bitten by one type, type of day. So... I hated going to work. <laughs> I absolutely hated it. And I did that for a year and some change. Yeah. Well, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't fun. But I met some cool people there. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got a research publication out of there, so it was worth it. But it wasn't fun. <laughs> it was not fun. Okay, so you do your research, and then at what point uh, do you decide to get the post back? Um, yeah, so I, I think I had one day I was sitting there at work, and I think I just got so fed up. Like, I was just so tired of going there. Also, I was like, I don't know what, I didn't know what I was going to do. Like, I didn't know if I was going to just apply, like, take the MCAT, apply. Um, or like, I don't know. Like I had, I, I had to figure something out though. So that's when I started thinking about dental school, like r- right around the time that I was about to take the MCAT. Started thinking about dental school, but I was already studying for the MCAT. The date was set, everything. Um, and I was just like, Jeez. I was just like, look, I'm gonna take the MCAT and then I'm going to shadow a dentist and depending on how that goes 
I might take the DAT. And so I took the MCAT. And I think immediately after the MCAT, I was like, all right, I need to figure out like a post-bac program because I'm just going to work here and I I don't like going to work here. I hate it. Um, and I don't know if this is going to be enough to get me into medical or dental school. So at this point, I'm going to do a post-bac so I can get my grades right. And with this experience already at NIH, having both is kind of like, it should be enough. Like, that will get me in somewhere. Mm. So I just went and did the post-bac. And, I mean, I was right. Like, I was definitely getting into dental school either way. Like, I got, I think I got interviews at half of the schools I applied to. So I think like six out of the 12. Did I apply to 12? Yeah. And I got six interview invitations. So like, it was worthwhile. Um, I can't, I honestly can't say that the post bag did it more than the research, but I think I could have skipped out on the research part, mm. personally. Okay, so... Um, but, so before you go to the post back, you said you shadowed a dentist. Yeah. Okay, so how was that experience and how did it make you like dentistry? So I, I spent a whole week shadowing the dentist and um, I also shadowed orthopedic surgeons when I was trying to go to med school. So I had something to compare it to. Mm -hmm. um, but I spent like the entire week with the dentist and I think the first thing I noticed was they only worked three days Monday it was like Monday Tuesday and Thursday with only three days that they worked so I got Wait, to see they only worked three days a week? yeah a lot of like there's it's very rare that a dentist works five days a week like it's too strenuous on your back oh. um, and like for longevity's sake you really don't want to work more than four days a week as a dentist like your back will kill you um but yeah i was shadowing my cousin and she owns her own practice mm -hmm. and um she only works monday tuesday and thursday i think i think on wednesday her office stays open for like hygiene appointments only so like the dentist the dental hygienist will still like do cleaning appointments on wednesdays but she won't see patients she might go to the office just to like handle like paperwork like collecting from insurance and payroll and stuff because you know she also has to run a business um and then yeah no one works on friday honestly wow. okay so your, your cousin has a, a practice is that how you were overall introduced to dentistry like um so I, honestly i was introduced to it from my orthodontist um like after i graduated from umd while I was working at NIH, like since that was my first big boy job, I decided to get braces again because I knew I would have to pay for them myself. Mm -hmm. um, and the orthodontist I went to was a black woman. And um, she, like, I, would, I was telling her like, oh yeah, I'm studying for the MCAT right now, I'm trying to go to med school, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, you ever thought about dentistry? And I was like, uh, not really. But like, while I had my braces, that kind of like shifted. I just became more interested in it naturally. And then I would ask my cousin if I could come shadow her. But she's, my cousin like mentioned it a few times, but I was always just like, you know, I don't really want to work in people's mouths. And I kind of just like, 
I was just always, I don't know, uh, I can be stubborn sometimes. So I was just always like, eh, no, I'm sticking to medicine. But I probably should have listened a little earlier. It sounds like she got through eventually. Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. To some degree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so then you go to George Mason, and that was in person, and then it went online? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because of COVID. It's, it was supposed to be all in person. Um, but yeah, like during the middle of the second semester, went online. How was the post-bag experience? Do you just take like pre-med type classes the whole time? Or? Yeah. Um, so like our first semester, we took biochem, histology, biostatistics, and I want to say it was one other class, but I can't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. Um second semester we took anatomy physiology and I think there was one other class and I can't remember what it was um but overall it was only like 20 or 21 credits or something like that maybe 20 um but yeah it was just that just taking straight like med medicine type of classes I think all of this all of those classes we took at least the biochem, the anatomy, and the physiology one were all like the same course that they take at Georgetown Med School. Mm-hmm. So um, it was like that level of um, rigor, just not as heavy as a course load okay. as like a regular like medical school course load would be. Okay. Okay, so then you finish that up and then you're applying to dental school and then you get dropped in Boston for the first time. Um, what's that like going from there? Um, yeah, I knew it was gonna take some adjusting. Like not not just that, but you know the weather as well. Like I said, this is a typical day in Boston. Like it's, it's not really a sunshine type of state <laughs> um, unless it's June and July, August. Um, and you know, it starts, it starts getting like real winter weather around November. Daylight savings hits, it gets dark at four o'clock here, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, yeah, Boston is like a little more east than Maryland, so the sunset that we get in Maryland that we think is early because it's at 5.30, mm-hmm. that's happening at 3.45 in Boston. Wow. Yeah, so. It, it was it was a different experience, but kind of used to it now. Oh, you like it? No. No. Yeah. Okay. No. Can't say I like it, but um, mm-hmm. it's manageable mm-hmm. for while I'm here. Okay. And when I'm gone, I won't miss it. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Okay, no, that's valid. And then your first year in dental school here, how was that? How was that adjustment? Um, honestly, I felt prepared for it because I did the post bat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt way more prepared for it than I would have been coming from just what I learned in undergrad. Um, there's definitely like people that end up dropping out of our class, and I will say that that's usually the people that came straight from undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, so like taking those gap years, taking a gap years, like actually kind of shit. Honestly, I wouldn't say it should be mandatory, but I think people should really, really consider it. Like, 
there's a lot of benefits that go into just taking some time off from school. Like, it just gives you a chance to reset, refocus. But also, like, I think a, a, a big part of why people struggle in dental school is not just because, like, it's so hard and you're always studying and you feel so detached from the world or whatever it might be. But it's also, like, people are graduating and seeing their friends, like, start living, like, real life, working real jobs, making money, and they're not. And, like, they kind of get lost in that, uh, they get trapped in that, like, zone of, like, comparison, like, oh, my life's, I wouldn't say they think, like, their life sucks, but it's just, like, being in school right now sucks. Everybody's, like, partying on the weekends, they're going and buying stuff because they got a real job, they're getting cars, moving into their apartments. Some people, depending on, you know, how old you are, people are buying houses, getting married, having kids. That's kind of the stage of life I'm in now where it's like a lot of my friends are getting married or having kids or buying a house. And I'm just in school. <laughs> and that, that's, that's kind of it. That's all that's going on with me. I'm not having no kids or getting married, so. I'm just watching everybody grow up and I'm just in school. That's true. Yeah. That is true. That's, when, you, when you say it like that, it makes it sound kind of sad. No, I mean, <laughs> me personally, like, I'm not, I'm not missing out on anything, but I guess, I guess what I was getting at when I'm saying that is like, because, because I took time off of school. Yeah. Like, I know what it feels like to, like, make real money and work a real job like yeah you make money but it sucks working sucks like I don't really I don't really think like anybody even if you love your job no one loves going to work <laughs> so I know I'm not missing much like I, I I really don't care about like getting married or having kids right now <laughs> I'm not in no rush to do anything like that so seeing other people do it doesn't isn't really like making me feel like I'm missing anything um seeing people I think like the only thing that sucks the only thing that sucks is seeing people travel oh watching people get to travel and, and and all that stuff while I'm stuck in Boston in school and in Boston that one that's the only thing that makes me go okay this sucks <laughs> but that's it though other than that I'm not missing anything mm-hmm <laughs> So you had this realization during the first year here, or has it just been like a culmination? It's just, it's been a culmination, but you really start to feel it like during your first year, like cause that year feels so long. Um, and you know, life doesn't stop when you get to dental school, especially for everybody else. Mm-hmm. So like, not only are you like detached because you're, if you move out of state like I did, like you're, oh, I'm not that far, but you are far from like your friends from home your family, et cetera. Um, but, like, just being in school, like, sometimes you really just get lost in, like, this moment of being in school. Where, like, you, you just, you're so locked in that, like, you just miss all the stuff that's going on around you, honestly. If it doesn't have to do with school, it, like, it's, it's, like, it's not your focus. You're not really thinking about it. But, um, you know, occasionally you start to feel that that feeling of like, dang, like life is going on. Life is going like keep everyone's life is keeping on going on and I'm just here in school. And 
that's just that's just reality of it. Yeah, I mean, the light at the end of the tunnel is coming soon, though. Yeah. Time is flying, man. Already in the third year. <laughs> Graduation will be here before I know it. Exactly, exactly. So, during your time here, well, especially that first year, were there any courses that you were like, oh, this is difficult, I have to adjust? Or was this uh, um, of easy, things of that nature? Honestly, during first year, there wasn't anything that was, like, uh, too shocking. But I think second year, like once we started getting more into the classes that were like specific to dentistry, mm-hmm. like they were about like certain subjects within dentistry, that's when I was like, oh, okay, like this, this is a lot. Like it was just a lot of new information at one time. And it's like your first year, a lot of the courses, like you either took something like it in undergrad or in your post bag, masters, whatever you did. So like, you know, physiology, biochemistry, anatomy, none of those subjects are brand new to me. Like I've taken it at some point and most people have too. Here's something my eye that's not getting out. Um, most people have too. Um, but like once you get to the second year and you're taking classes like endodontics, removable prosthodontics, all that stuff, you're like, I've never heard of any of this stuff before. I've never learned anything like this. So, like, you're actually learning a lot of new material and not necessarily, like, first year where it's more so, like, you're brushing up on material or, like, relearning material. Everything's brand new, so you're like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And it can it can be overwhelming. It can get overwhelming, but um, you get through it. It's, it's not too bad. There's really nothing in that. Well, yeah, honestly, like, I, I don't know. I don't think there's anything in dental school that has had me like just feel like oh I can't like I can't do this. Mm-hmm. It came close in removable prosthodontics though. That class was pretty hard. What what is that? It's like dentures. You're right. learning about like complete dentures and uh, partial dentures. It's just a lot of stuff to learn, and that class was definitely about to take me out at one point, but it didn't. <laughs> True. But it, it definitely felt like it was coming close. Okay. Okay. So. Then you have the so you have the courses essentially you take in Boston and then also you're doing intramurals during this time. Is there anything else that you're doing to kind of enjoy the city, things of that nature? Um, making a lot of friends, man. Going out, I definitely still, uh, I definitely still have a social life comparable to the one I had in undergrad. Um, yeah. That's honestly just hanging out with friends, mm-hmm. doing my YouTube thing. That's kind of just, that's all I do. School, YouTube, mm-hmm. gym. Like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm still very active in the gym, but um, yeah, that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Life is very routine around these times. You gotta keep routine so you can focus while you're in school. How'd you get started with YouTube? Um, so I ended up starting a YouTube channel because there are a few reasons. Um, but like when I was an undergrad and I was pre-med, I was watching uh, a specific doctor on YouTube. His name is Dr. Antonio Webb. I can't believe this thing is still stuck in my eye. His name is Dr. Antonio Webb. Um, he's a orthopedic surgeon in Texas. And um, when I was an undergrad, I found his YouTube channel. He would like vlog. Um, 
he would vlog like his full day when he was on call, like as an ortho, uh, orthopedic surgery resident. Um, so he would like vlog his day on call and I would just like watch it and I'd be like, oh man, like that's gonna be me one day. And like I could see myself, like it was a black man. He was like, I think he was chief resident at that point, like in his fifth year. So I'm just like watching his vlogs. I think he started vlogging when he started residency. So like there was a good amount of stuff for me to watch. And it was just motivating me to be like, you know, just something I needed to watch in my study break to kind of keep me going. Um, and so when I decided to switch to dentistry, um, I was trying to find a channel that was similar to that on the dental side, but I couldn't really. There was one channel I found, um, and they actually went to Tufts, which is right down the street from my school. Um, but on their channel, they were doing more so like advice for like pre-dental students on how to get into dental school and stuff, but not really vlogging. So I was just kind of like, I, I saw a void in a gap the in concept. market. Yeah, and I was just like, I mean, I can do it. And so I just started doing it. And I don't know, I just kept doing it. Like, ever since I, really as soon as I started, like I saw the impact it was having. And so I kind of just never wanted to stop after that. Like I saw it as long as it was bringing value for somebody that I was going to keep on doing it. So, I just stay consistent with it. That's true, that's true, that's what's up. How's your content kind of like changed over time? Um, well, quality-wise, it's always getting better. Like, all the money that I make from YouTube, I kind of just reinvested into the channel, whether it's like buying equipment, buying new lenses, like just investing into the quality of the channel and like anything that'll make the channel grow. Um, so like the, the content quality has definitely gotten better. Um, as far as what I, like what kind of content I produce on the channel, it's kind of stayed the same, like vlogs. Um, I've been doing vlogs since I started dental school. So the only thing that changes is the, the what I'm doing in school, like as far as how it was being a first year versus like now being a third year. Um, I still have like also made videos on like random things I can think about that'll help people with like their application cycle. So like just talking about like going through the application or like what, what to do if you need to get your grades up or like what to do if you need to get a better DAT score, like how I studied for the DAT or like why I decided to do a post back or like videos like that. Um, and just whenever I think of an idea, if I have the time, I just record it and make the video. Um, but usually on a daily, like I just vlog, it's very simple. It doesn't take a lot of planning. You just kind of live your life and bring a camera with you. So it doesn't take too much extra effort from me, which is good because I already got, I already have to give all my energy to school. So, so you took the DAT and the MCAT? Yes. I took the MCAT in March of 2019, and I took the DAT in October of 2019. It's a lot of exams yeah. for one year. Yeah, man. Um, I was just, I was, when I, I will say, like, when I switched to dentistry, like, I was, I was ready. Like, I was like, okay, what do I need to do? It wasn't like, 
when I was pre-med, I was dragging my feet, honestly. I was like, uh, I'm going to take the MCAT eventually. Like, uh, like I really only, t- I feel like I only took the MCAT because when I was working at NIH, like, they offered to pay for your study material. And so I was like, man, before I leave this place, I need to get that study material so I could take the MCAT. So they paid for the Princeton Review course, and I was like, shoot, I'm going to take the MCAT. And then after I took it, I was like, okay. I didn't like take it and immediately switch. I just, I took it. It's, I think the MCAT, you wait like a month and a half for your results or something. Like it took a little minute. Um, I think by the time the results came back, I had switched, but that was like May at that point. And I was already applying to like post-bac programs at that point. Um, but yeah. Oh, what was the original question? I forgot at this point. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, I, taking I, the MCAT and yeah. the AT in one year. Yeah. So once I switched to pre dent, I was like, all right, what do I need? I th- I remember I was asking Cheeto because Cheeto had did the program at George Mason the year before, and he was applying that year, mm-hmm. and I was like, what do I need? Um, like, what do I need to study for the MCAT? How do I register to take it? Blah blah. He told me, and I just got right to studying. Like, so I did take whatever time that was, March till like I didn't start studying for the M- uh, the DAT until like June or so. So from March to June, I was like chilling, and then June I was like I might as well start studying for the DAT now while at least a little bit of information from the MCAT is still in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but studying for the two exams were completely different, to be honest. Well, how did you have to pivot? What different? So, the MCAT is like largely passage based, and the DAT is not. Like it's really, there's a reading comprehension section, but like for the science section, it's not like the MCAT where you read a passage and then you have to answer like six or seven questions about the passage and move on. It's literally just like, what is this? What is this? What is this? what is the definition of this? Like, there's no passage-based question. So you just, either you know it or you don't. Oh. Um, And then the DAT also has, like, a statistics. It's a math section, but they call it quantitative reasoning. And it's basically all, like, statistics. And then it has a perceptual ability section, which is, there's nothing like that on the MCAT. Um, But it's, like... Basically, like logic games, kind of. It's hard to describe, but it's supposed to test like your perceptual abilities. It really doesn't. I think. I think it tests like just how how well you can pick up a new skill. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. That's but, um, yeah. It's it's called the perceptual abilities test, and that was like something new for anyone that's taking the DAT, no matter if you took any type of other exam before, you've never seen nothing like that. So that was a different thing that I had to prepare for. Well, so let's take it back to YouTube. Do you have like a favorite video that you ever made? That's a good question. Um, Honestly, I would say, I don't, I don't know. I don't, honestly, I don't think so. I don't think I have a, like a favorite video that I made. Um, I made 
I've made so many videos, honestly, like after I post them, I kind of forget about them. Like, it, mm -hmm. I just post it and then just move on to the next one. But if I could think of like a favorite, yeah, I would probably say like my most popular video, like the one that I made about getting into dental school with under 3.0. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I think I knew that I wanted to make that video before I started my YouTube channel. I think it's like the maybe the third or fourth video that I made just because like I wanted to kind of build the channel up a little bit before I dropped that but like I knew before I made that video like it was going to be pretty popular mm -hmm. and it definitely like blew up when I first put it out I think at the time I released it I, had, I definitely had maybe like 150 subscribers or something like that um, and I remember that video did 300 views in the first day and I was like okay yeah especially like for having 150 subscribers like even now sometimes it's hard for me to get 300 views in the first day of a video uh, I wouldn't say it's hard but um, I would say like now with I mean, like almost 7,300 subscribers on average I get like 200 views in the first day mm -hmm. so to get 300 in the first day with 150 subs was like oh okay like this might actually be going somewhere so I would say that's probably my favorite video but the only reason why I didn't say that like off firsthand is because to be quite honest that video sucks <laughs> like in my in my opinion like compared to the videos I make now that video sucks like the quality is okay but like it's 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 pretty trash like it's an old trash video would you ever like remake it or something yeah I would I've tried I've honestly tried it just doesn't hit like the first one does honestly oh. because like the way that YouTube is is like people aren't really gonna scroll back on your page mm -hmm. they're gonna look at what's most recent so I honestly like remake the video every I would say I've remade it like once a year like oh so that first one would be, was like right before my first year in dental school and then I kind of remade it my second year of dental school I tried to do a part two during my first year of dental school flop oh um I'm gonna say flop but like it, it, it wasn't as it didn't hit the same as the first one um I remade it my second year of dental school that one I actually did like pretty well um I noticed it was like taking off a little bit later like a few months after like I noticed it started taking off I put it out maybe like November of my second year and I noticed it started taking off around like March April probably because people were getting ready for the application cycle so they were like looking up that kind of stuff more um and then like I, I made like a similar video during the summer yeah like the summer after my second year mm -hmm didn't do as well I don't know obviously people don't really care about the quality of the video very much as long as the information is there that's all I really care about but the quality quality wise that video sucks I hate to say it but that's what I would say about a lot of my videos like starting off yeah but you have to have that first video that you have to you have to bro you have to like no matter no matter what point like no matter what your skill level is as far as like 
creating content, whether you think you're good at filming or not, whether you think you're good at editing or not, you're all, your 100th video is always going to be better than the first 10 that you made, mm -hmm. always. So you might as well just go ahead and start and make it like, there's no point in waiting. If you wait until you're good at something, like you're never gonna get good because your first video is never gonna be good compared to your 100. So there's no point in waiting until, oh, I'm not doing it yet because I just don't think it's that good. Just do it. You're like doing it is what's gonna get you better at it. So I don't regret making those videos. They suck though, for sure. Would you say that was like one of your biggest lessons with like YouTube and content creation? Um, yeah. Honestly, like I think the biggest things I learned like during this whole content creation journey is kind of just like don't sell yourself short. Like I see my videos suck, but like obviously people don't think my videos suck. <laughs> like you're always gonna be your biggest critic, and I'm aware of that. So even if I think it sucks. It's never to the point where I'll be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not putting this out because it sucks because it probably actually really doesn't. Mm -hmm. Or like, some, like I, I will honestly say like, one thing I've noticed is it's really the videos that you're like, uh, nobody really is gonna watch this and no one really cares about this. Those are the ones that end up doing like a lot better than you expect. And sometimes I'll be like, why are so many people watching this video? But you just never know what people want to see, and. You kind of just got to just put it out there. If it flops, it flops, but it's really not that big of a deal. That's true. In that similar vein, what was the biggest lesson you learned um, from your time playing sports in high school? Um, biggest lesson that I've learned. Um, I think playing sports in high school growing up period, like I think the biggest thing I learned is like, you really get out what you put in to things like if you if you really want to be good or great at something like you really have to put in the work like I remember growing up playing sports like it's very often that you see someone that just seems like they're just naturally gifted or like just naturally talented but like you start hanging out with them more and you realize like they wake up and go like hoop with a trainer at 6 a.m. three times a week. You think they just got natural talent, but like, nah, they really working. Like, they really putting in the work on the back end that like people don't see and they don't bring it up because there's no, there's no need to bring it up. Like people don't, people that's really working, like they don't talk about it. Like they just do the work mm -hmm. and then they let it show when they're on the court or like when it's game time, people see the results of the work, but they don't, you know, they don't know that you really work towards your craft, like behind the scenes and everybody doesn't see that and everybody doesn't care about that. You can't just be like, oh yeah, no, I, be, I train at 6 a.m. every day. If you suck, it doesn't matter. But if you're nice, it does matter, but people don't care about it. So it's like, you gotta put in the work. You can't put in the work just so you can brag that you put in the work. You gotta put in the work so that people can see the results of it but the work in itself that's just that's like a sacrifice that you have to make and that comes with everything school youtube sports everything literally everything so that's definitely the biggest lesson that i learned 
like growing up playing sports. That's a that's a good lesson. Yeah. Especially um when you're talking about having to sacrifice other things for the greater thing of what you're trying to accomplish. Um, especially having to move out here and uh, things of that nature. Yeah. Um, did you always uh, move and have the intentionality with uh, what you do and the sacrifices you were making for your future? Um, yeah, kind of. Um, like, I, that's just the kind of person I am. Like, I feel like a lot of the moves that I make are calculated even though I'm, I may not think of it in that way in the moment. Mm-hmm. In the back of my head, it's kind of always a calculated move. Like, even coming out here, like, in one, in one essence, it's like, okay, I'm coming out here because it's a good school. I got into this school. They gave me a scholarship, so I'm going to go. But then in the back of my mind, it's also like, dental school is hard. I need to be away from home. I need to be away from the distractions. And then there's another layer of, I'm in Boston where it's not like I'm moving to Atlanta or LA or somewhere where I'm moving somewhere else and I'm going to be distracted. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, when I got here, it was a big culture shock. I, I knew off the bat that like I wasn't going to be trying to be partying every day of every weekend because the scene for people that look like us isn't here. Plus, the weather keeps you in the house. So I knew coming here, there would be many reasons why I would be able to stay focused. And like between school and YouTube, like I have a lot to focus on. There's minimal time for distractions. So when you think about it, moving to Boston really was like a calculated move. I knew if I if I went to school in Maryland, I would try to be at y'all stuff all the time. Try to be on. Now I I definitely wouldn't be trying to be on campus all the time because I was never that guy. Like. I got what I needed out of college, and when I left, I was gone. But like, I'd be trying to press myself to go to homecoming every year, block show, all nighter, all the stuff that like they asking us to pull up to. I would be trying to go, and I know I wouldn't have time for it. But I know if I was home, I would try to make time for it. And I'm glad that moving up here has kind of removed that that decision from my head. Like I don't have to even think about trying to do all that like I'm here just focus on school and what I got going on and that's been working well for me <laughs> that's good that's wonderful to hear yeah man and then I guess in the similar vein of like those previous questions what do you think has been your biggest lesson while you've been in dental school um honestly I was honestly brother the biggest lesson has probably been like Every loss is a lesson. You're not gonna you're not gonna be great at everything. That's the whole point of being in school. If you were great at everything, you already have a degree. You know what I mean? So like being here, being in school, like you're learning a lot of new things. You're doing a lot of things for the first time. You have to and especially like in dental school, I think like a lot of us have the personality of like a perfectionist. Like everybody wants to be perfect. But, like, you have to, you kind of got to remove that mindset from your head because it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Just all all the strength of you never doing it before. You're not going to be perfect at everything the first time. So when you take an L on something in dental school, whether it's an exam, whether it's 
um, like a new skill, a new hand skill that you learn in the sim lab, is not as bad. Is it's not the end of the world. Like just learn from it. You can learn from everything, even your failures in dental school. So I think that's the biggest lesson that I've learned. It's just like no matter what the outcome of something is, you can learn from it, and then it will not be as bad the next time. Well said, well said. Then if you were to give somebody who's in that similar space that you were in uh, coming out of undergrad advice, what is something that you would tell them? Run your own race. Run your own race, bro. Like, don't, don't feel like you have to apply to medical school or dental school just because, like, everybody in your graduating class is applying right now. You know what I mean? Like, I remember in undergrad, I would be like, ooh, do I take a gap year? Do I not, blah, blah, blah. I was always gonna need a gap year. I was always gonna need a gap year. The only reason I ever thought I wouldn't is because there were other people in my class applying during the third year of undergrad, like, you know, trying to go straight through. But um, I noticed after college, like, you know, a lot of the people you graduate with, they take one gap year and they apply. That wasn't me. Two gap years and apply, it wasn't me either. Three, was it three for me? I think I applied during my fourth gap year. Mm-hmm. Like, no, 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 three. During my third gap year, that's when I was applying. Um, so yeah, you know, like, you start to see people starting school you see them applying, you see them getting accepted, you see them start school, and you start thinking like the, the clock is ticking. You know what I mean? You're like, man, I gotta apply next cycle. But honestly, just run your own race, apply when you're ready. And that's the best thing I ever did. I think if I tried to go to dental school any earlier, I wouldn't have been ready. And I might not have made it this far, because it is hard. And you gotta be ready for it. Like, not even just knowledge wise but like mentally you gotta be ready for that sacrifice you gotta be ready to you know really be in the books and not you know outside with your friends like you have to be at that at that mindset and maturity level like to really be able to make it through a program like this so uh, that's my number one advice run your own race well yeah run your own race you should definitely coin that phrase. Run your own race, man. your own race. And then, before we wrap up, um, is there, what do you got going on right now? Anything you want to plug, mention, promote? Um, Special thanks to anybody. Thanks to always, always promoting the YouTube. Student Dr. Eli on YouTube. So I talked about it a lot, but I didn't mention the name of the channel. Um... Special thanks to my parents and my sister, always, because they're always the number one people in my corner. Um, anything I want to plug? Not really, honestly. I only ever promote my YouTube. I don't care about people following me anywhere else. <laughs> um, YouTube is the number one thing for me, so anyone that's interested in like watching a dental school journey or anything like that, you know where to find it. There you have it. Thank you for coming and uh, taking this interview with me for the Fever Pitch podcast. 
If you haven't already, please follow us on Spotify, Apple, um, and if you can or are able to, you can listen back to our older episodes, leave a review, a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts, definitely goes a long way, and yeah, that's all we have for today, and thank you for coming. All right, cool.